welcome back to the White, Dark, Mean, and Everything in Between podcast. This is episode two. Today we'll be talking about HealthCom, and I'm with my friends... Chloe. And Joshua. We're all going to explain what health communication is and give some real-life examples to help you understand it. Uh, Chloe, could you help, uh, help me introduce what it is? So, HealthCom is a field of inquiry strong on various communication and non-communication disciplines to study the, the influence of communication on health and also on healthcare delivery. Cole, can you tell us why it's important? Of course I can, Chloe. So, basically, if you're going to the doctor, if you're trying to learn from an anatomy class, if you're trying to learn from a biology class, it is super important, or if you're trying to lead a country in a global pandemic, it's super important that teachers, it's super important that doctors, it's super important that everyone in between, just normal people, it's super important that we know how to communicate health, health risks, how to improve your health how to stay healthy. If without this, you just don't have health, and that's one thing that human life clearly just needs. And Josh, can you give an example of something like this? Uh, yes, I can. In the medical field, when doctor, when people are at the doctor, they will talk to you differently than do other like higher doctors and stuff like that because you're not as fluent as them. And <clears throat> people need to be more educated in health time because when people have real life issues going on, they're usually pushed off by doctors is because they're seen as something smaller when in reality it could be something very big. Yeah, everyone needs to get the same service, and it's kind of weird that doctors just get a higher one because they're a doctor. It's like we all need to understand it, right? Yes, yes. So? Now we will be talking about theory of planned behavior. The theory of, of planned behavior is a theory proposing that any persuasive, persuasive intervention attempting to alter behaviors must focus on individual beliefs. Cole, what are the steps in this process? The steps individually are attitude toward the behavior, the subjective social norms, and perceived behavioral control. And though this is a term that comes from health communication, it really can be used in any context, any subject, any category of communication. It works in a lot of ways, a lot of sources, I guess you could say. If you want to change someone's mind, if you really want someone to think about an idea that you're giving them, you have to, you just simply have to apply it to something that they already know, something that they already believe. If they don't already have a hint of information of what you're talking about, it's a lot more likely that they won't care, and it's a lot more likely that they won't apply what you're saying to their lives slash to their health. Now, an attitude to behavior, this is essentially, is this person going to feel okay with what you're saying? Are they cool with what you're saying? If you're saying, okay, you're living like a slob, you live terrible, I hate you, you should stop eating so bad. They're probably not going to be cool with that. They're probably going to have a bad attitude because you've been treating them bad. If you say, hey, you're human, it's okay, you've been eating kind of bad, they're more likely to help you, or work with you at least. Subjective social norms. Culturally, this is huge. As we know, culture is a huge part of communication. If a social norm is to eat healthier, you're more likely to eat healthy. It's just a fact. In the Netherlands, I think it is, people ride bikes. It's not just one person. A lot of people ride bikes. A lot of people don't have cars and exclusively ride their bike for transportation. In America, a lot of people ride their bikes, but it's not a nationwide thing that everyone does. And the perceived behavioral control. Does a person think that they will have control over the situation? If they think that they have control, they might be more likely or less likely to actually understand and go after a situation. If they think they have more control, in some cases, they might be more likely to go after it. If they think they have less control, they might be more likely to go after it. It can really vary depending on the person and the situation itself. And Josh, could you give a more concrete example for what theory of planned behavior is as a whole? <clears throat> All right, so for theory of planned behavior, I'll be talking about STDs and STIs. 
And people's attitude towards STDs and STIs, they be they like believe that they're not going to get it because who wants to get an STD or an STI? So they think that they could, like if they be safe, they may not even use unprotected sex, but they might like have sex with one person. But that one person could change your entire life because it only takes one person to get an STD or STI. A subjective norm is that people aren't like, if they don't get an STD, if they don't show signs for STD, they won't get it. Yep. And which is like truly bad because you can get an STD in like any way and it won't show up, but that doesn't mean you don't have it and you could give it to somebody else and they not know because it won't show up. Yeah. And the perceived behavior control is with that is that they have control over whether they get an STD or not. And that's false, they don't, because like anybody can give it to you, like I was saying. And it's just like people have to be more aware that that's a serious thing and you should at least wear a condom if you're gonna do it. Yeah. I think that really is a very, that whole HIV AIDS, sexual, sexually transmitted disease, infections, whatever you want to call it, I think that's a very good example for the perceived control aspect because that's one where it really does matter, your perspective on it. Like, if you think you're king of the world, you're not going to get anything and everyone's cool, you're, you're just going to fall. So, and you'll probably have way too much, you're probably going to get these diseases, right? At the same time, if you're absolutely paranoid, you're over the mountain with fear that everyone's going to have it and you're going to get it soon, you're going to be missing a major part of life and that's also going to hurt you as well. So it's really important that we have health communication to know what this like kind of centrist, more all around, all of you accepting culmination of ideas is to help you live a more fulfilled, holistic life. And then, Thank you, Josh and Cole, for your real life examples. Yeah. Next, we will be talking about the health beliefs model. And this is a model that describes and preaches how preventative health behaviors are a function of both efficiency of the recommended response and readiness to act. So Cole, what are the steps in this process? Really the steps in order are perceived susceptibility, which is essentially a person will care more if they know that they can be suspect to a problem. A person will absolutely care more if they know that they can be uh, negatively affected by a problem. Perceived seriousness. If there is a problem, is it bad? Is this going to be like, oh, once a day you might have to walk three steps? They won't care. They won't care about that. However, if this is a serious thing that they can really be affected by, they're more likely to care about it. So that's step one, perceived susceptibility. Step two, perceived seriousness. Step three, perceived benefits. People want to benefit. It's a human trait. Everyone wants that. So what are the possible benefits of doing or not doing a certain behavior? What are the benefits of eating healthier? Am I going to look better? Am I going to blah, 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 blah? Am I going to be something like that? Or is it more beneficial for me to just eat bad and feel, eat bad, feel good for a day, but then actually feel worse about a week later? Is that the way you want to go? So that's step three, perceived benefits. Step four, perceived barriers. Obviously, obviously, as humans, we want to do things easy. We want to do things now. We want to do it quick. We want to do it now. If something's hard, if something is in the way of us doing something, we're so much less likely to do it. And this is so important in health communications when you're talking about barriers, especially in something like a pandemic like COVID or Ebola, something like that, where if you say wearing a mask is not that bad, okay, maybe it's not that bad, but a lot of people are going to be like, oh my gosh, this is so terrible. I can't breathe. COVID's the worst. I'm not even going to try it. Super important to understand things like that. And then cues to action, what triggered a person to think about this? That is, that is a lot of the social norm that we talked about from the other example and theory of planned behavior. 
Houston action, it really depends on what made a person think of this. If a dentist made someone think about their diet, maybe that's a lot more important and more prominent, prevalent to the situation than if a math teacher told you about your diet. It really matters where your information comes from and what made you think of something. And now Josh is going to give us a more concrete example of this. All right, so my, for my example of the health belief model, I'll be using COVID-19 or the uh, pandemic that we're in right now. Perceived susceptibility for that, uh, some people really think that they can't get coronavirus, so like they're not going to they're not gonna do anything about it. like they're not gonna wear a mask. They're not really. They're gonna go out. They're gonna live life normally like how they would, but even before the pandemic, and other people would not even leave the house and like just stay and not interact with anybody because they're so scared of COVID. And I feel like you have to find a norm, like a middle ground in that because you don't want to like cut yourself off from the entire world. But at the same time, you don't want to live your life normally how you normally would. Mm -hmm. And perceived seriousness. A lot of people don't take it serious, as you can see. Like a lot of people still, well, especially even though it's more, it's less, it's more tame now. Back then, like back in the summer and back in, but earlier this year, like earlier twenty twenty, people were still going out of town. They were like, yeah, there were like, get. there was a huge variety of people, like ways people looked at it. Some people took it way too serious. Some people didn't take it serious enough, obviously. Yeah. And just like it, like I said, you just have to find a middle ground within that. You don't want to be too extreme on either side. Yeah. And the perceived benefits, people like people who are too scared of COVID believe that not going out will like stop them from getting the coronavirus. But in reality, like you, it can happen. You can get it anywhere. Like any, especially have like a kid that's like at school, like they can get it and yeah. bring it back to the house. Like it's it can happen anywhere. And the perceived benefits of people who don't believe that coronavirus is real, like they can still live their life without like anybody telling them, but that's also gotta think about the fact that you can still get it mm -hmm. and that could ruin your life, at least temporarily. And the perceived barriers are like people who don't want to wear a mask, like they yeah. really, like if they don't, don't want to wear one, they're not gonna be able to do as much because it's a mask mandate and you have to wear one. So like they'll be prohibited from doing a lot of things. And yeah, but the cues to action, it really based upon like what you believe, like, uh, Politician can influence you, your friends. Like if they, if everybody's taking the vaccine, then you're gonna be like, okay, maybe I should take the vaccine too, because it doesn't seem to be affecting anybody else. Mm -hmm. But you just have to look. You just have to like look for yourself and see if that's what you want to do. Yeah, very well said, Josh. And then this is a transition to our interview with Miss Jen. Welcome back to the second part of the White, Dark, Mean, and Everything in Between podcast. I'm now interviewing our young, beautiful athletic trainer, Miss Jen. Um, please introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Jen Dorman. I'm the head athletic trainer here at Harding Academy, and I take care of all the athletes with all the sports that we have here. Thank you so much. And could you tell us, what, or first off, whether you know it or not, but I'm sure you've realized it by this point, you are essentially a professional health communicator. Could you give us a little bit of knowledge towards your experience as being a health communicator yeah so um <clears throat> i obviously work with all the kids here at harding academy from lower school all the way to the upper school uh <clears throat> so that's what k through 12 i guess that's what we're gonna start at lower school mm -hmm. and i have to communicate with pretty much everyone involved with all the students from administration to teachers to parents to guardians to coaches 
um, even to the referees during a game. So definitely constantly have to communicate to everyone about any type of injury as long as they need to be aware of it. Yeah, absolutely. And my second question, second and last, could you please, because I know this can be a very complicated topic, could you give young high schoolers such as myself advice in terms of health communication, whether this be going to a doctor, talking to a trainer like yourself, something like that? Definitely. So I think my biggest piece of advice I would give anybody that needs to speak to someone in the healthcare community about their health, whether it's physical, mental, psychological, whatever, over-communication is key. Uh, Even... As me, when I was a teenager, I would be afraid to say some things to doctors um, because you're like, oh, I don't want to get in trouble, right? Mm -hmm. But over-communication is key. Um, The more I know about what's bothering you and what happened specifically, the better I can get a grip of what actually is going on with you. So if it's physical, such as like you fell down the stairs and that's embarrassing, you don't want to admit that you fell down the stairs, I can't figure out what's really going on without knowing the exact mechanism of injury. So if you don't tell me you fell down the stairs and you tell me it just happened, you woke up one day, doesn't make sense. So over-communicate. If it's something you're embarrassed about, there is nothing wrong with saying, hey, can I talk to you for a few minutes by ourselves? And we will go and talk and no one will be around in that way. It's just between me and you. There's a law called HIPAA, where I am legally obligated to not discuss anything, any medical issues with anyone else other than you and your parents, and only your parents if you let me, unless it's, you know, there's obviously different reasons why I'd have to speak to them. But seriously, over-communication is key. Be wordy, be honest. Be wordy, be honest. Thank you so much, Miss Jen. Thank you Absolutely. for Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Right. Thank you.